you make your way back to your seats, if you brought a Bible with you, you can open it to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, or you can read along up here on the wall, favorite app, whatever's most comfortable for you. We're continuing this series in the Sermon on the Mount, but next week will be our, our last week in it. And what we've seen through this series is Jesus calling us to a different way, we might say, of faith in God than is often the sort of just duty-driven, works-righteousness angle that all of us, I would say, and many others have said, are kind of wired for. We want to judge ourselves based on our performance, or we want to have ourselves to be judged rightly by others. And Jesus has been seeking to disrupt this way of thinking where it's the strong, it's the ones who do better, try harder, and get everyone else's approval who are the ones who show what it means to be the people of God. And he's challenged that in so many ways. And as he comes to the end of this uh, great message, this great sermon, as it were, he has some, some pretty strong and challenging words for us again. And so in Matthew chapter 7, we'll read verses 15 through 23. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to help us to uh, become whatever more present we need to become to be with you. We are so needy, God of your grace. We pray that we would bring ourselves to you right now or whatever we're feeling. May it be hurt, anger, sadness, loneliness, guilt, fear, shame, gladness, whatever, God. Help us to, to be here and to cast our cares on you. Maybe uh, hearing this text has already stirred up some stuff. Father, help us to be able to listen to the voice of the Spirit and not the flesh, not the enemy. May we follow the Spirit now through the Word to the good news of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Never get to know your heroes. They will let you down. I tried to look up whoever said that first, and I couldn't find it. But when I heard it, I've heard it before, 
I think it all kind of ring, it rings true for a lot of us. Never get to know your heroes. They will let you down. I remember in high school, we had a, a program. Some of you may have had it too. It was called D.A.R.E., where the local law enforcement partnered with the high school to help go to elementary schools and kind of warn children about drugs and the negative effects thereof. And what the way this normally worked is the, whoever was over it, probably some coach, no negative things about coaching, our, our kids play sports, would find not, not the people with the best character to go and talk to these elementary students about a, a life of, of modesty or a life of, of staying off drugs and all that goes along with that. What they would do is they would think to be effective, we've got to find the, most, the best athletes and the most popular kids and we'll give them this D.A.R.E. t-shirt and we'll give them this script and they'll go into these elementary school rooms and they'll think, that's the guy I see playing on the football field on Friday night. I need to listen to him. Or that's the person who's on the basketball team or the cheerleader or the soccer team or whoever it were. I need to listen to them with not really any care that that person's life didn't match up at all to the message that they were being sent to deliver. There was this big disconnection that we could bring a message that was kind of disembodied. And I think if we're honest, sadly the church, and when we say the church, we are the church, right? As you hear a message about leadership today, just kind of side note, I'm already on a rabbit trail here, is when people in the church start talking about the church, they've revealed they don't have a good theology of the church. The leaders aren't the church. The people who are in Christ are the church. So remember, when you talk about the church, if you understand it rightly, you're, you're talking about yourself too. We're a part of something. And so when I say the church, the church can do the same is that we can care more about the people's appearance, people's giftedness, people's maybe popularity, or even people's kind of public rebellion, being the person who's not popular. Any of these fleshly standards can give us reason to give people a pass on the actual reality of their lives. And the results are devastating for the mission and the witness of the people of God in the world. We believe the lie that we have to go along with that way of the world and platform the people with the best gifts, with the most popularity, who are the most attractive physically or personality-wise. We think, well, you know, we've got to compromise so that we can win more people. But in the end, what we end up doing is actually undercutting the very good news of the kingdom of Jesus that we've seen Him proclaim in this text and ultimately, and even more, that He embodies in Himself. I would say a big reason why we have this culture of deconstruction going on around us, it's not the only reason, and if you don't know what I mean by that, people saying, you know, I just don't even know if I believe what I believe or what, if I should believe anything or should trust anybody or anything. A big part of that, not the only part, is not based on intellectual arguments. I would say even most often, even if it does get to intellectual arguments, it didn't start there. It starts because of blatant hypocrisy at the level of a character in the church being disregarded 
or set aside or downplayed for the sake of running some kind of system and getting some type of results. And as we look throughout the history of the Scriptures, we see Jesus, when He brings us this Word today, He's not speaking out of a vacuum. This is not new teaching. Remember, He's told us in chapter 5, verse 17, He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's not coming to give us a new story. He's coming to fulfill it. He's coming to show us what it was always supposed to be about. And how what it was always supposed to be about leads to Him. And if you go read the Old Testament, you have a whole entire history of a people who are always getting in this wrong lane of saying, we want to look good like the nations. We don't want to have God just rule of us, over us, the people of Israel said. We want a king like the nations. One who looks good. One who can get things done. If this character's not great, okay, will He make us safer? Will He make us richer? This is ultimately why, and we'll get to this later, Jesus will be rejected as King. Because He just won't check off the boxes of what the flesh wants in a leader. So he's calling us in this text to trust leaders based on their lives, not their looks, not their lips, and not even their legacy. To trust leaders based on their lives, not on their looks, not on their lips, not on what they say, and not even on their legacy. So how do we do this? Well, the first thing we see here is we've got to understand what Jesus is calling us to expect. Notice verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus is warning His disciples, this is going to happen. Beware. Expect it. We're going to see in verses 21 to 23, this is not just applying to first century Israel, it's applying to the church. Don't be surprised. False prophets are going to come. He's connecting them to this whole history in the history of Israel of false prophecy. Of people who show up and say, peace when there is no peace. Of people who say, thus saith the Lord, when really all they're saying is, thus saith myself. To be worried of any preacher or teacher who would say, this is the Lord's vision, when really it's just their vision. It may be impressed by the Spirit, it may be guided by the Spirit, but but don't be buying this thing where if you disagree with how I'm applying God's Word, then you need to know you're disagreeing with the Lord. Now that happens all the time in churches. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. What he's saying here is this is going to be hard. Is is nobody shows up into the life of a a church, of a missional community, of a fight club, of of whatever uh, group, Christian community you're a part of. They don't show up and say, hey guys, I want to trick you into believing what you shouldn't believe or into living to what you shouldn't live. No, they're going to show up with appeals to truth and righteousness. 
They're hard to see. One commentator says false prophets are denied not so much, defined not so much as ones not speaking the truth, but those who appear godly, but are not true, whole person followers of Christ. In this context, we know Jesus is at least in part speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, inwardly, they are wolves. They are ravenous wolves. Ravenous. There's this impulse and there's this desire to consume, to control, to dominate, to take over, to wield power for the sake of their own comfort or glory. I remember the pastor who let me preach my first sermon. He had grown the church from 50 people to 500 in just a few years in a very small area. And he preached with such passion. He evangelized with such fruit. I still remember this is the guy that you can't go into the convenience store and buy a Gatorade without it being very likely he's going to lead the cashier to faith in Christ. Not, that's not his exaggeration. I was with him. And in a winsome way, like not a just, I'm going to pray the prayer so you'll leave. <laughs> and that very person may be very well likely showing up to church the next week. A large family of children that loved him and a wife that was on the front row and always by his side. And then just being devastated to find out that all this time he was stealing money from the church. And then in a, in a classic move of pastoral abuse, flipping, confessing his sin and then flipping the script on the congregation that would expect any type of fruits of repentance and making himself then in to be the victim of a group of people of a church that didn't understand grace. Taking a hundred or so of those people and going and starting a new church. I bet you've probably got a story or know somebody who does of where somebody in a church in a position of leadership was your hero, or at least someone you trusted, someone who may have taught you even what it looked like to follow Jesus only to find out that in some real way they were living a lie. And we're back to our statement, never get to know your heroes, or we may say your leaders, they will let you down. We could spend all morning telling those stories. Podcasts, church profiles. Social media is littered, is littered with people who were praised and platformed because of their gifts, personality, and who got a pass until it was just too hard to deny. 
But what I think Jesus wants to say also to us is you also have a lot of people who act surprised. Like, we didn't expect this would ever happen. When Jesus has very clearly given us a whole Word of God and specific teaching here that, that this is going to happen. To be ready for it. He's not here to shame us in our grief around these issues. He is with us, but He also wants to say, Hey guys, do you not realize that you have a real enemy? And there are real people who get caught up in His work and who are going to enter the life of churches in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are wolves. And it hurts to be tricked by them. It hurts to give your trust to somebody who only as you find out maybe manipulating or using you. Maybe they don't even realize that's what they're doing, but that's what's going on. It hurts, but it will hurt even worse if you're not expecting it. It's so hard in the church. It was hard for them then. It's hard for us now. Because when you follow Christian leaders, is your uh, Diane Langberg... Uh, a Christian therapist, psychologist, whatever you want to call her, she, she speaks wonderfully on this if you want to go listen to her say all this better than I'm saying it, is about how what's so hard is because our view of God gets so wrapped up in leaders that it's, we don't often separate it. We become so dependent and meshed in this leader teaching us about God that when we find out that this leader, and sometimes is a wolf, or for sometimes we just find out they're human, then all of our faith gets questioned. It's a dangerous thing. And Jesus comes to us as the Good Shepherd here to care for us, to expect the reality of wolves to come among us. And it's hard to spot. They're not always immoral people, they're not always mean, they're very committed. As we'll see later in this text, they often have good doctrine and good awareness of things. But the Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 They are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So Jesus says, beware. First word, expect. Now I want to say something about this. I don't think Jesus is calling us to just now be on our guard all the time. His call to beware is not for us to create a culture of suspicion that if you have any kind of relationship with a leader, then you're like all of a sudden, okay, I'm not going to get my hopes up and trust this person and have a real relationship with them. He doesn't want any of you in here who are aspiring to leadership to say, I'm not going to lead because I don't even want to put myself in that potential category. No, He's obviously not calling us to that because He's the one who's going to build the church. He's the one who's going to say, I want there to be leaders in the church. Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus didn't say, I just want you to be this disorganized group of random Christians who get together in coffee shops or in somebody's house and kind of talk about the Bible, and then when your relations get tough, go find another coffee shop or another group of Christians. 
No, he's saying he's going to build his church. He wants people to lead in his church and to love in his church and be committed to his church. But he's saying, don't be devastated when things get messy. Grieve, be sad, be hurt, find healing. But just know that I, I told you this could happen. I told you this could happen. In our church, we hope it, this doesn't happen, but we would be very, very naive to think that it couldn't. Jesus is saying, be on the watch. Well, how are we supposed to do that? Well, that's our next. So if the first thing is we need to, we got to know what to expect. If you want that word expect to help you remember, the second word is detect. So how do I detect this then? All right, I'm not going to be the police, right? He's already said don't go around as the judge police and at the beginning of this chapter looking to find specks in everybody's eye while you got a log in your own. He's already said that, but now he's saying us, but we can gracefully have a way to detect. Notice verse 16. Jesus says you'll recognize them by their fruits or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So he's saying we want to look at, at the fruit of a person's life. Verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So what he's saying here is out of a person's nature and character, this fruit is going to arrive. And he goes on in verse 18, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What he's saying is that a person's true heart, their true nature, is going to reveal itself in their character and in many times in a conduct that's connected to that character. That ultimately, even if someone is able to fake this fruitfulness, it will be found out. So sometimes you plant trees, and at first it's like, I don't know what kind of tree it's going to be, unless you're a tree expert guy, right? But when the fruit starts coming off, you're like, oh, that's a pear tree. Oh, that's an apple tree. But I think what's also being said here that we can't miss is that trees can also the same types of tree can bear fruit, and it looked the same, but some be poisoned and some be healthy. This is very important for what Jesus is saying. And I just think this makes perfect sense if you read this in context with the whole Sermon on the Mount. He's told us again and again, looks can be deceiving. People can give to the poor, but just for the praise of men. People can pray, but just for the praise of men. People can fast, but just for the praise of men. People can know and memorize the whole Old Testament and miss the heart of it. So I think we would do wrong if we don't just pause here for a second and ask this question. What does he really mean by the fruits we're looking at? This is so important. Because oftentimes, a lack of character in leadership gets dismissed, we say, because of fruitfulness. I, I guess I just ought to trust that person, even though this awkward thing happened, because look at all the fruit in their ministry. 
This many people wouldn't come and sit down and listen to a person talk unless he was a good person, would they? We're back to where we started. We're, we're called to trust leaders not for their lips, their, their lips or their legacy or their looks, but for their real lives. I believe, and I may be wrong, that when Jesus here is talking about the fruit, He's connecting it to everything He shared with us in the Sermon on the Mount. Not mere behavior in the terms of external righteousness, but what do you see when you look at the real life of this person in accordance with their heart? Is this a person who, when we could go back through the whole Sermon on the Mount, we couldn't. Is this a person you look at the Beatitudes and you say, yeah, I can see that, or at least repentance in direction of that. Is this a person where you look at the law and it's not a person who's a technical obeyer, right? Technically, I'm not having affairs. So who cares if I make the occasional dirty joke or have some lust in my life. Is this the person whose words you can trust or, or is this the type of person who will never make a commitment and just says, well, you know, I'm a leader. You know, I'm not, I don't have to be true to what I say. You could do the work because this is a person who you just get the sense that, you know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Is this the type of leader who you get the sense that what they do wouldn't count unless they posted it on social media in the name of discipleship? Is this a person that you get the impression who loves to pray and talk about prayer but has never prayed with you? Is this the type of person who may have all types of external initiatives and ideas But the presence of the Spirit and the way of Christ does not seem to be the aroma that pervades from their lives. One commentator says, in other words, the false prophet is the gifted leader who does not do the will of God in the ordinary elements of life. Now, I know I'm, I, I'm always nervous to mention any names, uh, but I'm going to mention one. I don't know all the details of this. I could be wrong, so I'm just sharing from what I've read and know, and I'm saying that. One of the hardest stories for me over these past couple years of seeing leaders be exposed was the Ravi Zacharias thing. Uh, a person, you know, that listened to a lot growing up. I remember back in the days of CDs, having his Veritas Forum where he's just sharing the gospel in Harvard University. Just, I mean, I just listen to those on repeat. Getting my, what's the whole old school scratch remover on your CD thing when you run that thing, right? And put that burn CD in there and listen again. And again, I don't know all the details, but one of the kind of harrowing points of the abuse that was being engaged in was some of the, the women that came forward, you know, it's like, why, why didn't you say something sooner? And they said, 
that he would say, do you know if you do that, you would really take down a lot of the good that God is doing through my ministry? I mean, you can do that if you want, but just think of all the people in the world that are blessed by the work that I'm doing. Do you want to destroy a family? Do you want to destroy a mission? As crazy as that sounds, I, I, would, I would bet, and I don't know, that similar words have probably been spoken quite often in the church. And I just want to, to ask you guys humbly that pl please, please don't ever fall for that or go along with that if something like that happens in this church. I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's one of our elders, one of our missional community leaders or fight club leaders. I don't care if this church doesn't exist anymore because of it. God does not need us to protect His mission right. through compromising on these issues of character and purity. God doesn't need you to protect my family by lying about stuff, or any others for that matter. I want our kids to hear that. I know they're not all in here. Students, women especially, but us all. To report it, to talk about it, to tell people, call the police if something extreme or something happens, tell your pastors, and just let the chips fall where they may. To know a tree by its fruits, and we got to say the right fruits. Not the fruits of our public ministries, or missions, or personas, or effectiveness, but by our hearts. By our hearts. Jesus says, beware, wolves will come. And sometimes He's saying, what seems the most obvious is not maybe what you're thinking, and at times what's the least obvious is. I recently watched this Marvel show, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I've been told pastors shouldn't always use sports illustrations or uh, illustrations about superhero movies, but anyway. I, I will anyway. So, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. If I had to sum it up, it's superhero show it's a story that's wrestling with this concept of do the means justify do the ends justify the means so if you're after something really good is it okay to compromise character to get there what if it's really good things though you know what i mean like saving your country saving your church Saving your life. And I think it does it well, but it, it, just, it shows, and, and, I, and I don't even know why I shared that, because it's a horrible illustration, because all I just said is that's what it does. But anyway, if you watch it, go and be discipled. Watch it by the Holy, with the Spirit. So, I, I say all that, rambling to say, I think Jesus, this is a lot of what He's saying in the Sermon on the Mount, is the means matter. He might even be saying the means are the ends. 
That we're not trying to be a religion that just gets stuff done. It's not about our doing, it's about our being. It's about who we are. It's about our character. It's about our hearts. But again, we've got to, we've got to be careful. We, I've got to say something else. This is not now expecting anyone who's in leadership to be perfect. We planted this church, at least my part of, and I've said this before, I'm just going to keep saying it. You, I am not perfect. If you get to know me, I will let you down. If you get to know me and in a relationship with me, I'll let you down many times. I don't want to pastor a church to where I have to set up on some pedestal and don't get to say like Paul did in Romans 7, most of the time I don't do what I want to do and the stuff I want to do, I don't do. That's me. If you don't know it, there you go. Ask my wife, ask my children. We're not saying here, you know, now, okay, Jesus wants me to walk around with a scorecard for people in leadership. No, but he's saying, watch their lives. This should apply to all of us equally as well. I'm going to give you some ways to watch a life. Don't, this preaching stuff, I wouldn't say it's easy, but right, I can fake everything up here. I can do this faux vulnerability thing too. Y'all don't even know I might be doing it now, right? Pastors are good at this. I'll just give you enough so you think I'm real transparent and vulnerable, but not really let you know the truth. Anyway, so what do you got to do? In a world of religious professionals, God talkers, fakers, here's some things I think could be helpful. Is you got to look at their closest relationships. You need to say, what's the relationship like with spouse if they have one? What's relationship like with roommates, friends, children, parents? And again, I'm not telling you now to come at me with a checklist and ask me all these things, right? We're not wanting to be inspectors. We're just wanting to be able to be detectors. You need to look at people. This isn't just about leaders. It's about all of us. If you really want to know people and care about what counts, do they have any close friends? That doesn't mean some people aren't introverted. But it's a warning sign when somebody has nobody in their life who gets access to their heart. The next thing is, is this fancy word, and I'll explain it, of art. What, are, what is their health like in terms of their emotional differentiation? All right, fancy word. Here we go. All that means is, is, is their sense of sense of self and sense of joy, is it rooted always in what other people think about them? Differentiation, are they they able to be different? Or another $5 fancy word, codependent. Are they only as okay as other people are okay with them? Because if I'm not, then you can't critique me, it'll devastate me. You know, leaders ought to be able to have people in their realm who can say, why did you do that? And it not be like, do you not trust me? All right, that's kind of a red flag. It doesn't mean that leader is disqualified. It just means, okay, I love you. Let's 
let's, let's talk about that. And to get more biblical here, uh, and if this is, it's the fruits of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. How can I detect if this fruit is good? Well, if you notice the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, those aren't like metric sheets. How many you running on Sunday? How many leaders you got leading? How many baptisms? I mean, that's what we typically talk about as fruitfulness, but the Bible doesn't usually use those as fruitfulness. How's this, how do I experience this person in terms of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control? The Beatitudes. Self-control. Pray for Daniel to have self-control here. The Beatitudes, the whole Sermon on the Mount. How, and again, this is not just about leaders, it's about ourselves. We can look into our own hearts. How, how does this connect? Does this a person that seems to love their enemies? Or is this a person that always has to win and be right? Take no prisoners? We want to look at ourselves and, and leaders in terms of personal communion. Is this a person that can preach a sermon series on the spiritual disciplines? But when you ask them, hey, how's your, how's your time along with God in prayer? And they have nothing to say? It's character over gifts. Is this a person who you get the sense needs to retreat from the church? We all need retreats, by the way. But is this a person who is kind of, I used to hear it in these terms, the uh, alarm clock, that's not right. The clock where the preacher pops out on Sunday, you know, the bird pops out and preaches, and then the rest of the week goes into his hole. Again, introverts, it's not what I'm talking about, this personality. I'm talking about somebody who's like, I've got to hide from people. And again, I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. Is this a person who has no one in their life who's close enough to challenge them? So detect. But I want to encourage us to be patient in this. Sometimes we may not be able to detect it, but notice what Jesus says there, as hard as it is to hear. Every tree, verse 19, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That ultimately you may feel powerless and voiceless to do this. And in some systems it's set up so that people really can't. But in the end, no one will be able to hide from the true judgment of God. And this is what leads us to our last point. So, expect, detect, and the last one is reflect, or reflect. Alright, you've got to reflect. Am I following a system, or am I a part of a system, or contributing to a system that is just about doing stuff, or about a real, vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus? And this is verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read these all together. I think some of us will be familiar with us. And for those who won't, you'll get enough here to get started. Not everyone who says to me. Now we're going to read this in context with what we just read. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let's just pause there. This is where we see that Jesus is not just talking about this first century 
ancient Near Eastern Israel experience in, in the people of God. Because it says, Lord, Lord. And because it says, to me. So Jesus is saying, there's going to be people who are going to profess my name and call me Lord, who will not enter the kingdom. False teachers are maybe his primary target here, but he's also talking about false followers. We're called to be reminded that a profession of faith does not always equal a possession of faith. We've got to be ready for that. He says contextually here, clarifying who's going to enter the kingdom. Again, we read it in light of the whole Sermon on the Mount. He said in chapter 5, verse 20, you must have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. But what he's talking about here is, I'm not saying when I say do the will of my Father, now giving you this legalistic measure to determine whether you really have the faith. He's just spent three chapters saying don't do that. But we're so wired for law, we hear Jesus saying this and we forget everything He's just said and walk out of here judging ourselves based on our works. No, a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees is a righteousness of a humble faith in Christ as the one who fulfills the law and the prophets through His perfect life, death, and resurrection, and then who through the power of the Spirit given to us enables us to now live out of what He's done for us, not out of what we do for Him. And so this, this again, read it in context, makes perfect sense then of what's going on in verses 22 and 23. Notice verse 22. On that day then, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? We'll come back to 24, but just to feel this. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice what's going on here. On this way, the following God that Jesus says is going to come into the church... And you're going to say, Lord, Lord, to me. They have a holistic, we might say, a holistic missional methodology. Where do I get that from? Well, they're engaged in a ministry of deliverance from demons. They're engaged in a ministry of healing, which is most likely what Mighty Works is referring to. These are not inactive, pew-sitting Christians. They're living on mission. This, this, should, this should humble us. We're thinking about fruits. There's going to be some people who say, I did all the right things. I did everything for you. My life revolved around that church, for goodness sake. What are you saying? I never knew you. I was consistent. There were all these inconsistent people. I was consistent. I was thinking of that old John Piper seashells thing. You know, some people on the last day are saying, I want to present my shells. And he says, go give your life to mission. And I love that. But guess what? This is what Jesus is saying. There's going to be people also who say, I didn't live for shells. Here's my mission. 
And he's going to say to them equally as the shell couple, depart from me, I never knew you. And he's going to tell us why in a minute. Also, these people, we might say, not only have a holistic missional methodology, they have a doctrinally high Christology. All kinds of fancy words today. They have a very high view of Jesus. In this context, for them to call Jesus Lord is for them to identify Jesus as equal with Adonai. Maybe even Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is huge. And they've professed a, a doctrinally correct declaration of who Jesus is. They got His name right. We did it, and we did it in your name. But James will tell us that even the demons believe and tremble at the name of Jesus. A last thing here, not only a holistic missional methodology and a doctrinally high Christology, but I would say they have an emotionally rich psychology. Now where do I get that from? Lord! Lord! David cried out when Absalom died, Absalom! Absalom! Martha or Mary one when Lazarus had died cried out to Jesus, Lord, Lord. Or is it Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha. I can't remember one way or another. We have these contexts of where when you repeat this name, you're showing that you have an emotional connection. I sang with all my heart. I lifted my hands I wasn't like those dead Christians. I practiced the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe I spoke in tongues. Maybe I, I, I received and shared prophecy. But even in that context, 1 Corinthians 13 is, you know, you can do all those things and if you have not love, you're nothing. So what is Jesus saying here? Because if you hear all these things, you might think, well, well, is there any hope for any of us? Those aren't bad things, are they? Holistic missional methodology, a doctrinally high Christology, an emotionally rich psychology. We want all those things in our church. But Jesus says here these crucial words, depart from me, I never knew you. This language of knowing throughout the whole Scripture speaks of a real intimate relationship. Sometimes even with sexual connotations. And I don't want you to get me wrong on that. It's just saying like this is, I knew you. Adam knew Eve. Jesus saying, you did a lot of stuff. Just like in the Sermon on the Mount, everybody's doing a lot of stuff. But what He wants you to know is, I just wanted you. I wanted a relationship with you. I wanted a relationship with you. So he calls all their work lawlessness. It's amazing. How could it be lawlessness to so many, do so many good deeds? It's because those good deeds were not done out of a true love for God and a love for neighbor. They were ultimately done out of a love for self. 
What we have to see here is Jesus is not only the good shepherd, the better and true leader, He's a good prophet. He's on this mount giving us this message like all the prophets in the Old Testament did. And if you know anything about prophecies, it always reads like condemnation, but really what it is is an invitation. When somebody tells you what might happen in the future who cares about you and loves you, is they're not trying to condemn you, they're trying to help you. Jesus is saying to His disciples and even to false leaders, is like, this could happen. But I'm here as the true and better leader. I'm here as the good shepherd who loves you. You who've put external righteousness over internal righteousness. I've come to save you. One of these leaders that's being kind of talked about and exposed today said this line, I could never follow a, a God who I could beat up. Or I could never listen to another leader who doesn't have more people in their church than me. And I think Jesus just wants to come at all of our arrogance in this room and remind us that He was beat up for us. He became low for you. And He didn't die with a big following. <laughs> he was betrayed, and He was abandoned, and He was alone on that cross to show you what love looks like. To show you what a real leader looks like. To show you what a real king is supposed to do for His people. And He did that for us. In all of our worldly measurements, He became the one who was despised by men, rejected, a man of sorrows, and it wasn't pretty, and by our standards, at that time it wasn't fruitful. But the perfect character of God was given for us. So as we begin to come now to the Lord's table, I want to just ask a few questions. Number one, some of us might say, so shouldn't we just consider not having any leaders at all? And the question is for you to go to the Word and say, what is Jesus calling you to? Because He's calling you to trust Him. Some of you in here may be thinking, should I quit as a leader? Scary enough to lead yourself, but Jesus is calling you to trust Him. So where is the Spirit leading you, number one, into accepting? Jesus has told us there would be false prophets and false professors in the church. We need to really grieve that and be sad about it. But a healthy sadness will lead us to a holy acceptance. Not that we're saying it's okay, but we're saying, in this world, till Jesus returns, I'm going to hang in here and know Jesus warned me and grieve with hope. Jesus wants us to detect, but He doesn't want us to detach. Second question, where might the Spirit be leading you into repenting? For those of us in here who are leaders, where might we be trying to shield and not deal with our internal realities by external righteousness.
whereof us as followers may be doing very well the same thing. Just participating in a religious system that doesn't care mainly about the heart. And then the last question is, where is the Spirit leading you into resting? Some of you may have, have grown or are growing very bitter. You have little to no capacity for trusting any type of leader or authority. And the first thing Jesus wants to do is just say, I'm with you. We can talk about all that later, all the details, but right now I want you to know I know you were hurt, and I love you, and I'm with you. And when you come and take that bread of the cup, I just want you to rest. No one has been hurt worse by the church than Jesus. No one loves the church more than Jesus. Others in here may be being led by the enemy into condemnation right now. So whereas some of you need healing by His presence... You need to know there's forgiveness. As a leader, or maybe you've just faked it till you made it, and it worked, and right now you're thinking, well, I guess I'm just done. You need to know there's forgiveness. You're going to have to be honest and humble, but there's forgiveness. Jesus died for your sins, for your hypocrisy, for your character. And the same is true for professors who find themselves hiding behind doctrine or methods or emotional jargon. And then lastly, there's some the enemy wants to use these texts to plague you with confusion and doubt of your salvation. And I think Jesus would just hear you say, that's, that's, that's not what it's wanting to happen here. I'm coming here to calm your fears. Those whose eyes are on themselves are the ones who need to be rightfully afraid. But those who are weak and humble are the ones Jesus wants to rest. He doesn't want you to feel shame for your fears. He wants you to run to Him. Never get to know your heroes or they will let you down. Maybe. But there's one hero that we're going to come around this table right now who will never let you down. And one day, at the end of all this mess, he's going to return and he's going to wrap you up and present you spotless before the throne and there's nothing no bad leader or bad church can do to change that. So Father, we thank you now that we are led to celebrate Jesus. Help us to lift the bread and the cup to Him and to Him alone. Jesus, we confess You are the head of the church. Our hope is only in You. And now as we come to the table, may we rest in that together. Thank You, Jesus, for Your finished and perfect work. Amen.